He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. And we arrive at Holy Week, which in the East is often called the Great Week. Liturgically, we call it the holiest of weeks or Holy Week itself, because this is the week toward which everything has been pointing. Really, the entirety of the liturgical year points toward this week. It may sound funny, but it's actually important during Holy Week for us to think back to Christmas and to really get the full frame of God's work in taking up flesh and eventually mounting the cross to conquer death. He came in the flesh on what we often call a, a divine mission for rescue, that he came to, to rescue us because we could not save ourselves. When you go back through so much of the Old Testament, the Psalms as well as the prophets, when Israel, who as we visited earlier in the video series, is often spoken of as a bride or as a woman, when Israel found herself lost in the wilderness or trapped or stuck under the weight of her own sin, typically the Lord would allow her to, to reach her limit, to reach the place where she finally, in her poverty, had to recognize her inability uh, to lift herself up, which the Lord so often does for us as well, huh? He lets us come to, to extreme limits that seem like it's way too far into suffering or way too far into this silence of God that we've pondered already. And at that point of reaching a limit, of wondering whether God is good, whether he exists, whether he'll come and save us, that's when we cry out. And in the outcry, we, we cry out with all of the church, but also all of Israel. Israel who begged the Lord for rescue, to, to be saved, who, who awaited the Messiah with this aching longing. The longing of a woman, the bride, Israel, who discovered an incompleteness in herself. Uh, discovery that each of us has to make over and over again, that we're just incomplete left to ourselves, that, that something aches within us that can't be satisfied by any material good and, and even another human person. We were made for God. And the outcry of the heart in all of our pursuits, all of our meanderings about this world, so very often beneath every ache and every longing and every passion is ultimately the desire to be completed by another ultimately the desire for communion, the outcry for God. And so with Israel this week, we notice the, the, the outcry for rescue and pondering the Lord's choice to take up flesh, we there discover that the way he chose to answer that prayer, that outcry for centuries was Jesus Christ, was to send his own son. And the divine rescue mission is a taking up of flesh so he could be in our midst. And so that walking the pathways of this earth and experiencing everything, everything, everything we experience save sin. He was able to reach into it and redeem it. He was able to empty out all of the suffering, all of the rejection, all of the torture, all of the sorrow, all of the death. He emptied out everything of its darkness to save us from the, the weight of sin. See, the divine rescue mission was, was to take up flesh and to shoulder a burden with the cross, the burden of sin, one that we couldn't carry a yoke, that we couldn't break ourselves. In the fullness of time, God, looking upon us, in love with us, was moved mercifully to, to, to alleviate the misery that was crushing us. And so Christ represents the, the face, the heart, the visible manifestation of the mercy of the Father, who says, enough is enough. I'm not gonna leave you to suffer beneath this weight any longer. I'm not going to leave you wandering about. I have heard you and I answer your prayer. 
the way that we can really ponder the incarnation and especially the work at the culmination of that journey this week, the holiest of weeks, is to see Jesus Christ not only as the Father's mercy manifest in the flesh, but also as the answer to the outcry of the bride. I believe one of the richest and most beautiful titles of Jesus Christ is Divine Bridegroom, that he came in answer to the outcry of the bride, the church, in her, her nascent forms before she was yet full, as she waited and waited and waited for centuries for the consummation of a love that, that had haunted her heart and yet that could never be satisfied here in this earth, that as God takes up flesh, it is to espouse creation to himself, to bring to himself this people that he had set apart, to unite himself to us that we would no longer need to do any of this on our own. Christ the Divine Bridegroom. It's an image, an icon, that is actually depicted on the cover of the journal that we've been praying with throughout all of Lent. It's a famous image from the East, in fact. And while you would think that Christ the Bridegroom might be depicted, you know, wearing the garments of a wedding, instead he's pictured as the suffering servant of Isaiah, cloaked in the robe that the soldiers have placed over him in mockery, holding a reed covered in blood, crowned in thorns. And it's this great reminder that all of our faith and all of life is filled with the beauty of love, but that love and suffering commingle and, and so wonderfully meet and rise to the heights in the person of Jesus Christ. That he took the weight of the cross and he suffered for us in love. And love lays down its life for the beloved. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. When we dream of love when we're young, it's often filled with these romantic ideals and these, these images that we hope will be someday fulfilled in this perfect idea of love consummate. But as we discover as we grow the cost of love, we discover as well that we must suffer for the one that we love. We must suffer in love and that love and suffering are so inextricably woven together that to love is to suffer and to suffer. In fact, when it's done in love is a consummate expression of what it is to give one's life for the other. We see this eloquently depicted in Jesus Christ, the divine bridegroom who takes up flesh to rescue his bride, to lay down his life for her that she could live, that she could draw her to himself, that a church could be born from his side, and so that for the rest of time, we would know ourselves not simply as chosen ones of God, but as those espoused to God, that in the new covenant grace that breaks forth because of what happens this week, for the rest of time, love is opened to us. We are drawn up beyond our limits. No longer uh, must we search the pathways of this earth for something to satisfy the ache of the heart. Now, we turn to God. And in God, we discover the fulfillment of all our desires, even in the midst of so much toil. Because this is the story of the pilgrimage of life. Through the valley of tears, through the darkness of suffering, through the agony of death, toward that which he has achieved for us and into which he's gone first, conquering death to bring us life. So this week, a real invitation, this holiest of weeks, to make space to pray with the movements of the Paschal Mystery. That we have, for weeks now, been pondering Holy Thursday and suffering, Good Friday and torture and death, Holy Saturday and laying in the tomb in the silence of God. If you can, make space to attend the services at your local parish, starting on Thursday, but through Friday, through Saturday into the Easter Vigil, that Easter Sunday would, would be an experience of having immersed yourself, even woven your own story with the story of God as he chooses to take all of creation to himself in espousal, in love for the sake of salvation. This holiest of weeks, indeed, when we move with the church and breathe with the liturgy, it actually does change everything reorienting the pathways of our hearts and our lives to this great horizon that has been opened for us, that was previously closed. 
And we can hear again and again and again that great hymn, O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? <laughs>